You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we've had a couple days of doing different fun little exercises. I gave my DT rankings. We did a mock draft. So I kind of want to go back to the drawing board a little bit, look at some of the questions and comments that came up, and kind of work my way through that because there's a lot of them. So some of the things on the docket today, I want to look at speed and maybe provide a little bit of context to how fast Henry Ruggs really is, and it's staggering. I want to ask the question, are there any good linebackers in the NFL today? And I shouldn't say good. I'm talking Ray Lewis, Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner of old, who are just the absolute dominant, best of the best linebackers that are still in now that Luke keekley has gone. Is there anybody? And I'm not talking about just against the run or just against the pass. I'm talking about they are just dominant in the middle of the field. You're not going to be able to run, and they can cover. Talked about it a little bit before, but there was a question in the Facebook group. And the question essentially is, you know, so who are those guys that are really good in, in both categories? And as I'm looking at it, I'm not positive. I know there's a lot of excitement about some of these free agents, but again, remember what I said about how free agency work. There's going to be somebody who's the best at the group, and the the problem with that is we assume that they're the best in the NFL. At least that's how they're treated. It's almost like they're in their own category, and when you look at this list of seven linebackers, this one's heads and tails above everybody else, and so we just assume they're one of the best and we got to get them. I've talked about it several times. It's kind of Another way to think about it is the XFL. You look at how good some of these guys are, but when you put it in the context of the entirety of the NFL, none of these guys are any good. And so forgetting free agency and the excitement we have about some of these guys, honest question, who is the Luke Keekley of 2020 now that Luke Keekley's gone? A little bit of talk about Rashawn Gary playing inside linebacker, so I'll very briefly touch on that. And we've got a few other things that I want to look at if there's time. We'll see how things go. But before we get to all that chocolatey goodness, big shout out to Earl and JJ for jumping in on Patreon. We are at this time at 86 patrons. I feel like at this pace, we're not going to get to 100 before the end of the month. However, I'm reminded that we're 14 patrons away, literally $14 away 
Now, that doesn't mean I want someone to give me a $14 donation, but 14 $1 donations would do the trick. And if I may entice you, one other thing. You know what today is? Just dawned on me today. You know what it is? Episode 700. Woo! Nailed it, y'all. 700 episodes of the Packernet Podcast. Super crazy. The, the, the possibly crazier thing is that in less than a year, if I keep doing this daily, we're going to be at over 1,000 episodes. But, you know, still, big milestone to get to 700. And if you're thinking about a present to get me on this very special anniversary, which is not how anniversaries work, but get out of my face, might I suggest jumping in on patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can search it in Google. You can go to Patreon and search it. You can ask me directly. If you're having any kind of trouble, I promise you there are... Uh, ways around whatever obstacles you're facing, with maybe the exception of bankruptcy. In which case, keep your dollar. We'll, uh, we'll, somebody else can fill in that spot for you. You just keep on keeping on there, fighting the good fight. But thank you very much to the 86 patrons that are helping to support the show. Thank you all for listening. I've been uh, doing this for quite a while now. It's not as long as you'd think with 700 episodes when you're doing it daily, but this is, I believe, what, the fourth season now? Third season? It's going to be the fourth season because my first season started when Rogers got hurt. In fact, that was very close to my first episode was right around the time Rogers got hurt. So I covered two terrible years, one great year, and we're going to break even on good and bad years this year when we uh, win the Super Bowl. So that'll be nice. Anyways, thank you all for jumping in on, uh, well, whatever it is you're jumping in on. Thank you just for listening. Why don't we take a break, talk about some stuff. If you're looking for something super, super fun to do this spring, how about you cruise on out to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training? Great weather, great landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, and some spectacular food like cheesy crisps. I still got to do that. Technically, it wouldn't even be breaking my diet either. I'll just burn some cheese on the griddle and eat it and be delicious. I'm not sure if that's how that works, but, you know, it looks good. If you are a diehard baseball fan, I have to assume this is at least on your bucket list. So why not check it off this spring? Beautiful weather, 10 different baseball stadiums you get to explore as 15 baseball teams diverge for your pleasure and entertainment. Pop on down to the ballpark, get you a get you an autograph and an ice cream cone. Go ahead and stand out there licking your ice cream cone, just staring at him like, yeah, you know what to do. Mr. Baseball Man, you know what to do. Sign my cowboy boot. You got to buy cowboy boots when you get down there, and you might as well have him sign it. Nothing says authentic Arizonan like a signed cowboy boot so if all this sounds enticing to you head on over to visit arizona.com slash spring training if you are going to go though let me alert you to something every night local police departments across america receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms the vast majority of the time they have no idea whether the alarm is real and if there's a real crime going on or not all the alarm company can say is the motor sensor went off but simply safe home security is different if there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch is up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You're going to get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells are going to alert you to anyone approaching your home, while entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard the inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It is 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. You can set this thing up yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you. The best part is it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. 
So head on over to simplysafe.com slash overtime. You're going to get free shipping on a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. And I know what you're thinking. I can't go because I got too much pain. Living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your whole life. Many of my listeners probably have some type of pain that has prevented them from relaxing and sleeping or stopping them from exercising. Perhaps it's been ongoing for a few weeks now and hasn't improved with any of the treatments they've tried. Enter Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution CryoFree CBD Roll-On developed by Omax Health. This non-prescription triple-action pain relief roll-on is specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part of this is it's 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application, and relief lasts up to 8 hours, much longer than the -the over-the-counter products. Omax Health right now is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X health.com and enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze and site-wide. Sorry about that. I was supposed to spread those out, but uh, due to some issue, I had to come back and squeeze that one in. So we're doing all of them in one today. There won't be any other breaks, though. All right, so why don't we start with the linebackers? Because I do think it's pretty interesting. Because as I'm looking at it and I'm giving all this insight into linebackers and how it's not worth taking them and all this da-da-da, it kind of dawned on me at some point that this doesn't seem normal. I don't know if it's because we're transitioning in the NFL to wanting strictly cover guys. And technically the guys that are being drafted, the guys that are being groomed to be coverage guys in that linebacker spot are just naturally not very good against the run. And so we're just getting away from the old prototypes. I don't know if it's just because we're in a transition phase. Maybe we're just in a lull. In which case, maybe drafting a linebacker is a great idea because somebody's got to fill in, come in and fill this void. But let me just tell you what it is I've been seeing. The specific question was, and I'm not really going to answer it, but I'll use it as a launching off point. With no free agent linebackers seeming to be top-tier run stoppers, I would be curious which current non-free agent NFL linebackers are considered by PFF to be the best run stoppers without being a liability in the pass game. And if they're on teams that maybe blah, 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 could we possibly trade for them? I'll just tell you right now, considering how rare this ability is, the answer is no. Nobody's going to give these guys up. Unless they just don't want to pay them and they're getting old and whatever, but no. So let's just find those guys. So if I'm just going to go down the list of linebackers, and again, I've kind of done this before, but let's uh, let's do it again. Number one, Eric Kendricks. Now, I've already told you, this is beyond a fluke. Now, maybe it doesn't have to be, but let me tell you, it's going to be at least another year before I'm willing to crown Eric Kendricks the next Luke Keekly. Eric Kendricks ended the year at a 90 overall grade, which is an elite grade. He had an 82 run defense grade and a 90 coverage grade. Last year, he had a 66 run defense grade and a 64 coverage grade. The highest grade in any category he's ever gotten was in 2015. He had a 77 overall run defense grade. The guy's been mediocre at best for four years. I don't know what kicked off in his brain, but here's, here's the other problem. 
These are overall grades. If you look specifically, starting in week 9, here are his run defense grades. 61, 59, 52, 67, 70, 63, 67, 32, 55. He went back to being the same old boring garbage linebacker that he'd been for a very long time starting in week 9. There was a stretch from week 2 to week 8 where he just played out of his mind against the run. As far as his great coverage grade, it's primarily because he had a lot of really, not a lot, but several really good games mixed in with a bunch of terrible games. He had an 84, an 88, a 79, an 81, a 75, and a 92. Outside of that, though, he had a 48, a 60, a 58, a 65, a 61, a 54, a 52. So I just think he had a bunch of really flashy games that overall gave him a really good grade. I just I think he's going to regress in a big way because this isn't who he is. He's not this good. Almost nobody's ever this good. Not the least of which would be Eric Kendricks, who, again, not very good. So I'm going to remove him from contention. Second best linebacker, also good in both categories, is Demario Davis, 31-year-old linebacker who has in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years never once had a good coverage grade ever. Highest he's ever had was a 66 this year in 88. No way at 31 years old he just turned a corner. Something weird happened. I don't know what it is. He's been pretty good against the run for three straight years, so something clicked. I just don't think at 31 years old suddenly you're super fast and great in coverage. So no, I'm sorry, Demario Davis at 31 is not now suddenly the next Luke Keekly. I'm not buying it. Now, somebody that does actually seem to be doing pretty well, or at least has for a few years, is Levante David, Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker. He's 30 years old. Now, he's not great, but he's been consistently fairly good in coverage. Run defense is good. So I would say Levante David is is a trustworthy, versatile, goes-both-ways linebacker in terms of being good against the run as well as the pass. Now, wildly inconsistent. He's got games 1, 2 three games in the 30s against the run. So wildly inconsistent, but overall, over the course of the year, he grades out fairly well in both. Usually 70s in both categories, but again, he's got some really ugly games. But I guess that's just the nature of being a linebacker. I don't know. Next, you got Alexander Johnson, who is a rookie this past year, and he was an undrafted free agent. Maybe but I doubt it. In fact, his coverage grade was only good because he had two games in the 90s. I don't think he had a single game in the 70s beyond that. In fact, down the stretch, 57, 42, 62, 57, 49, 60, and 60. He was garbage in the passing game starting in week 11 all the way through the end of the year. Plus, he didn't play an entire year. So a rookie undrafted free agent, I don't think he's going to be the next Luke Keekley. And he's 28 years old, having played his, I guess, his first season. Maybe he's been in the league for a while. I don't know, 2018 was his first year. He just has never taken a snap. You got Josh Bynes out in Arizona, same situation. He's been great against the run for a long time. At 30 years old, he had his first game or first year in which he was solid in coverage, but he's not going to be consistently the guy. Now, one guy to be in strong consideration is Darius Leonard. He broke out last year, real solid linebacker. And so far, he's been at least a 70 overall grade in both the run as well as coverage, and he's had back-to-back years in the 80s in tackling. He's had back-to-back years in the 70s as a pass rusher. Now, it shouldn't surprise you he was a second-round linebacker because, as I said, that's where the money linebackers are. So maybe Darius Leonard is the next guy. 24 years old. He's never gotten a bad overall grade ever. He's never even had an average overall grade. He's had bad individual games, but maybe Darius Leonard is the next guy. Bobby Okereke had a solid first year, a third-round linebacker. It's only one year, though, so I can't crown him. Plus, his run grade was a 67, so he didn't quite make 70. So... I don't think I can put him in there. Again, Luke Keekley's done. 
Corey Littleton, who everybody loves, great in coverage, 64 overall against the run, so no. Deion Jones in Atlanta gets a ton of love. Everybody knows he's great in coverage. He's not a good run defender. Bobby Wagner, obviously everybody loves him. Everybody said, well, what's wrong with Bobby Wagner? He's the guy. He had a 62 coverage grade. Now, maybe it's just a fluke. Maybe he'll bounce back. I don't know. He had, he's had at least two very dominant years where he was elite in just about every cat. I mean, I've never seen something like this. 2017, 90 run defense grade, 91 tackling grade, 91 pass rush grade, 90 coverage grade. That's insane. But again, this year, 78 run defense, 65 coverage. Maybe he's fallen off. So maybe we lost Bobby Wagner also. New England's Jamie Collins gets a lot of love. He's not very good. And I think that's it. I don't think anybody else has got positive grades in every category. Um, so so I, I don't know. Darius Leonard has been solid for two years. I don't see anybody else. I don't see one other person that I think you can trust consistently. I think there's a good bet that Bobby Wagner bounces back, maybe. But he's 29, had the worst year he's had since 2015. I don't know. Maybe the last two years have been flukes. I don't know. His, his coverage grades have never have only been really good for two years. And then they kind of regressed back to what they were. His elite run defense grades were three years. Before that, he was 70s and 80. And this year, he was a 78. So maybe this is just who he is. Good against the run. Mediocre in coverage. Now, let me contrast this with what... Let me tell you what I'm looking for. I'm asking who's the next Luke Keekley. Okay, well, what's Luke Keekley? Outside of his rookie year, Luke Keekley has had at least a 70 overall grade in coverage. And that's seven straight years. And, and as a matter of fact, in 2012 was his rookie year, 64. 2013, a 74. Ever since then, his lowest coverage grade was an 84. For six straight years, he had a very good or elite coverage grade. He's never had less than a, let's see, 76.5 run defense grade. And since 2015, he's had elite seasons, with the exception of 2019. So the year in which he said, you know what, maybe I need to hang it up, he had an 81 overall run defense grade and an 86 overall coverage grade. The guy has been dominant every year. And so I'm just asking the question, are there any other Luke Keekleys in the NFL right now, or is this, is this it? Is it that rare to get a guy that can play the run and cover? Maybe it is. Maybe this is just a thing that doesn't happen. Because I can go find wide receivers who are dominant. Granted, wide receivers just have to be wide receivers. Again, the, the hard part about being a linebacker in today's NFL especially is, if you, is that you have to be a safety slash defensive tackle. Right On one hand, you got to be this big, stout, immovable object that tackles people. On the other hand, you have to be able to run and cover and do all this other stuff. It's an impossible kind of position. But you would think that would mean it would be valuable, but apparently it doesn't seem to be. But yeah, if you were to ask me which guy do I think definitively is, is, is going to be somebody that can play the run and cover very well consistently, Darius Leonard is the only one. And he's not Luke Keekley. He's just pretty good. I mean, you could say he's very good. But he's, he's, he's not Luke Keekley. He's not what Bobby Wagner was. He's just the only linebacker that I can find in the NFL that I would trust is going to be able to play the run and cover and do it well. And that, I don't know, it's just shocking to me. And I know there's a lot of people saying, what about? Well, let's do a couple of the what about. A lot of people love Nick Kwiatkowski. He was average in both categories. And by the way, as I've said about Kwiatkowski, the thing that makes me the most nervous about him is that he's been up and down every single year. I mean, literally, his rookie year, he was garbage. His second year, he was one of the best linebackers in football by PFF grade. His third year, he was garbage. And then this year, he was pretty good again. 16th overall. Wildly inconsistent. Jeez, I can't even find guys that are I'm, I'm expecting to be big names. I mean, Bernardrick McKinney? I don't think anybody cares about him. I mentioned Devin Bush out of uh, 
Pittsburgh, the guy that got drafted relatively early as not being a garbage linebacker, but he was average in every category. Michael Kendricks, below average in both categories. K.J. Wright, average to below average. Danny Trevathan, good against the run, terrible in coverage. Quan Alexander, as I've been saying, solid cover guy, one of the worst run defenders in all of football. Anthony Barr is ranked 53rd overall. Again, the, the Vikings linebackers get way too much credit. Average run defender, below average in coverage. Tremaine Edmonds out of, out of Buffalo, terrible in coverage. Blake obviously was terrible against the run this year. Even Leighton Vander Esch, what about that guy? I thought he was a freak. Well, he was. I thought he was going to be the next big thing. 43 run defense grade. Roquan Smith was ranked 75th overall. Both coverage and against the run were at grades in the 50s, so below average in both. Devin White, below average in coverage, straight garbage against the run. Mac Wilson, a guy that I liked coming out of the draft because he was violent. 41 run defense grade, 46 in coverage. I don't know, maybe there's somebody on IR that I'm forgetting, but I'm just saying, I'm going through this list. Every linebacker is just bad. And again, maybe that's just the way the NFL is now. The NFL loves to pick on linebackers and exploit linebackers, and their job is to try to not be exploited, which is nearly impossible because offenses have gotten so good at exploiting linebackers. If you're too short, we're going to go bring a tall tight end after you. If you're too slow, we're going to well, put a fast tight end after you. If you can handle that, we're going to run at you. Or we're going to bring a, a smaller, shiftier guy after you. I mean, there's just there's no limit to the amount of different things we can do to attack you. And your ability to stop all of it is just, it's nearly impossible. So maybe that is the, the way that this is. Maybe you just need two guys in there. You get your, I would say Blake Martinez, because there was a time in which he was just a straight-up run defense guy, except can't do that anymore apparently but you get your guy that can play the run and then you get your guy that can cover and that's the one reason why i would say let's get Corey littleton although i think it's overhyped i mean the guy he had a 91 tackling grade he's a tackling machine a 77 pass rush grade which is incredible and an 82 coverage grade i mean that's that's really phenomenal the 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 thing we just have to recognize is that he's which actually given how much i've been trashing everybody a 64 run defense grade isn't even all that bad but you just assume he's not going to be that guy and you fill that void with somebody else. We know we can plug in a fourth-round linebacker. We've been doing it forever to come in and play against the run. Jake Ryan, Blake Martinez. Again, Blake fell off, but we know he was serviceable for some time. I think he's being asked to do things now. He's being asked to play the Corey Littleton role, and he can. Right? Again, Blake was fine in the old scheme. The new scheme, he's being asked to do different stuff. He can't do it. But the point is, we can go out in the fourth round and find somebody, or the third round, or whatever. We've been missing a lot, but again, we've been trying to get Oren Burke, the coverage guys. Maybe that's a harder thing to find, so maybe you go out and pay a Corey Littleton, and you draft a run stopper, because those guys are a dime a dozen. We never seem to have any problems finding them, even A.J. Hawk. Granted, you look at him as a first-round bust, but I mean, if the, if the guy was anything, he was a consistent tackler. The Packers don't want to find tacklers anymore, but they're good at it, so maybe that is the way you go about it. If you find a guy that, and maybe that's why guys like Quan Alexander get paid so much. They don't care that he can't play the run. He's great in coverage. So he handles that responsibility, and we get somebody else to plug in there and do the other stuff. Legitimately, Quan Alexander is the ninth best coverage linebacker in football, the third worst run defense football uh, player linebacker in football. And he got a big payday. So there you go. And Levante David, by the way, the guy that I just talked about who is maybe one of those guys that's decent in both. If I had to pick somebody that was a possible trade partner, although I don't want to get a 30-year-old, he is in the final year of his contract, and it is a $10 million contract, and Tampa Bay has got to find a lot of money to sign their pass rusher, although they're probably going to dump their quarterback. It doesn't make any sense. I don't want to pay $10.7 million for a 30-year-old linebacker. 
But if I had to answer the question directly, I guess we'll go with Levante David. Um, I mentioned Henry Ruggs. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but there was, I was watching, I think it was just a Henry Ruggs highlight video. I don't know why it must have popped up or something. I don't usually watch highlight videos. But in that video, they highlighted one of uh, the announcers talking about how fast Henry Ruggs was clocked. And this is in miles per hour. You may have seen me post this a couple days ago, but if you didn't, I, I didn't really know what that meant. So I thought, okay, well, I can go to check out how fast NFL players have been clocked. And I went back for as far as um, the NFL has been tracking the fastest players and the highest mile per hour of anybody. So in 2019, the fastest player ever on a football field was Matt Breida. He ran 22.3 miles per hour. I didn't even realize he was that fast, but he is. In 2018, it was also Matt Breida, 22.09 miles per hour. In 2017, it was Leonard Fournette, 22 miles an hour. And then in 2016, as you would expect, Tyreek Hill, 23.24 miles per hour. So the fastest anybody's been clocked, as long as the NFL's been tracking this, is Tyreek Hill in 2016 ran 23 miles an hour. 23.2, which is an entire mile an hour faster than, than Matt Breida's fastest or anybody in the last three years. You know how fast Henry Ruggs was clocked? 24.3 miles an hour. So for three years... The fastest anybody has run is 22 miles an hour. Once in 2016, somebody ran 23.2 miles an hour. Henry Ruggs, 24.3 miles an hour. More than a mile an hour faster than Tyreek's fastest time ever clocked. So we know Tyreek Hill is a 4-2 guy. The fastest anybody saw him, and I don't know if this was laser timed or what, but it was, uh, I think it was like a Nike event or something. He had got clocked at a 4.25. I don't know what his 40 time is going to be, but you want to talk about a guy that can get up to some serious speed? I'm talking play speed, right? We're not, we're not getting down into our crouching starting position, waiting until the gun and firing off or any of this kind of stuff to see how fast we can get to 40 yard. I'm talking play speed. I'm talking about breakaway speed. I don't know that we've seen anything like this before. And the other thing is Henry Ruggs is, is six foot 190. I mean, he's not like Tyreek Hill. Obviously not knocking him, but Tyreek is 5'10". So this is a full-bodied, you know, maybe slightly shorter than, than average at six foot, but he is a full-figured wide receiver that could legitimately be the fastest the NFL has right now. So, I mean, he still stands where he stands as far as the big board and all that stuff, but th there's no question this guy's ceiling is, is through the roof. And if the Packers took him, believe me, I'm super excited about it. There's, there's no more of that fake speed stuff where he ran, you know, we, we got guys that get clocked in. A, he ran a 4-4-2, which technically is faster than average. And then you watch him go run, and it's like, everybody can keep up with him, though. No, this is speed speed, man. This is real speed. This is play speed. This is no joke. This is he gets the ball in his hand, and if that dude misses, he's done. He's gone. It's over. Now, again, we've seen fast guys that are garbage. Guys that can't play, guys that aren't very good. So there's more to it than that. I'm just saying, this is this is crazy. Some other perspective on that. I just found this for fun. Uh, Ruggs, who ran at 24.3 miles an hour. Um, Usain Bolt, his max speed is 27.8. Obviously, that's a lot faster. But I mean, we're 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 getting to that territory. So I mean, th there's going to be some good wide receivers that come out of this, man. I really hope we get one because it's going to be one of those situations where a lot of teams take wide receivers. A lot of them are going to be really bad, and some of them are probably going to be very, very good. And I just hope we don't get embarrassed <laughs> by taking one of the bad ones. So uh, a couple other things. There was a question from Dustin in the Facebook group about trading Corey Lindsley and what you could possibly get for him. Um, so I looked at it, 
and I went back and tried to find trades for centers. Turns out they're worth nothing. <laughs> so the only one I could really find that kind of would translate, there's a lot of player for player and, you know, two players and a pick for this and that. But if you go back to 2013, the Indianapolis Colts traded A.Q. Shipley to the Baltimore Ravens for a 2014 seventh round pick. It's 2013. So that would be like if we traded Corey Lindsley for a 2021 seventh round pick. Now, is A.Q. Shipley uh, Corey Lindsley? Well, in 2012, which is the last time he would have played for Indianapolis, he was the 19th overall center. He had an 80 overall pass blocking grade and a 66 run def- uh, run blocking grade. Corey Lindsley is the 14th highest um, center in the NFL with a 71 run blo- pass blocking grade and a 67 run blocking grade. 71 pass, 67 run. So granted, he's higher up as far as rankings go, but he's not as good of a center grade-wise as A.Q. Shipley, and A.Q. Shipley got a next year's seventh-round pick. Now, I, I I don't think that that's, I don't know why that was so bad. Maybe the guy had a horrible injury or something, I don't know. Bottom line is, I don't see any precedent whatsoever for getting a second-round pick, even if we combine it with the guard that nobody wants. If we look at just uh, last year, the Cleveland Browns sent Austin Corbett to the Rams for a fifth, and it was a 2021 fifth. So in 2019, they got a 2021 fifth. So two years into the future, you get a fifth. In August of last year, uh, the Colts gave a seventh-round pick and Evan Boehm to the Miami Dolphins for a conditional 2027th-round pick. So they're pick-swapping in the seventh round for a center. In uh, also August 30th, 2019, the Buffalo Bills traded Russell Bodine, center to the New England Patriots, for a 2026th-round pick. 2017, the Jaguars gave Luke uh, Bowanko to the Ravens for a seventh. 2017, the Browns gave Cam Irving to the Chiefs for a fifth. In 2015, the Seattle Seahawks did get a fourth for their center. However, that's not the full story. They gave their first-round pick and Max Unger for Jimmy Graham in a fourth. So, there you go. The only time a second-round pick was ever exchanged for a center that I can find, at least since 2005, was in 2006, and they didn't acquire a second. They pick-swapped a second. They gave up a center and swapped, uh, the Cleveland Browns swapped with the New Orleans Saints. They moved from 43 to 34. So I don't know that the compensation would be all that much. Even if you want to say, well, he's better than all these centers, which I don't think is necessarily true, we're not getting a second, we're not getting a third. At absolute best, I think we would get a fourth-round pick for him. So I think if we were to move on from Corey Lindsley, it would have nothing to do with getting massive compensation. It's not a, it's not the transaction. It's about building out the roster and managing the cap. It's about maybe moving our left guard to center and exploring options in the draft. I don't know that that's the right thing to do. All I know is Corey Lindsley costs a lot of money. I don't think they're going to do it at this point, just looking at how many things they need to do. And I think that they've got they've got a lot of concerns with the cap and with the draft that they need to take care of. And I don't know that they can spend a lot of time worrying about the interior offensive line. I think they need to look at offensive tackle, at least for the future. I think the depth is quite shallow. And so if you moved on from Corey Lindsley, you would absolutely have to go out. And you couldn't do much in free agency because the whole point was to save money. And the only way you're going to get another center in free agency and not spend as much money is to get a center that's just worse. And there's no guarantees you draft uh, an interior offensive lineman, especially in this class, where I don't know that there's even a first-round pick worthy uh, in the 
four interior offensive line. So it's just a very high-risk thing, and you're not going to get a lot of compensation for it. It's maybe something that you can try to satisfy, and then after the draft, you try to move them if you feel good enough about it. But again, I the, the, think the biggest problem is you put yourself in a situation where you're one injury away from a pretty big catastrophe. But we'll see. It's not impossible. And then finally on Rashawn Gary, um, a lot of talk about him playing inside linebacker. I, the, the bottom line is Matt LaFleur has already answered this question. Let me read for you a quote from Matt LaFleur on his season-ending press conference. Quote, I think there's a learning curve for young players, and there were two pretty darn good players in front of him. That's another area where we need him on the field. Anytime you've got a first-round pick with his talent level, he needs to be out there, and we've got to look at ways to implement him more in our scheme. Also, there's areas that I've talked to him about where he needs to improve upon in order to get out on the grass and be the consistent player that we think he can be. I think he's got some position flexibility, but I think his core position should be outside linebacker. I think situationally you can kick him down inside to make a living down there, down in, down out. I think he's best suited outside. Those are conversations we've not yet had. So you could point to that last time. Well, see, maybe they'll talk about it. Okay, but the point is people are trying to say, look how trim he is. I bet the Packers are trying to kick him inside. Or maybe they should kick him inside. But again, they're not going to. The, the, the problem with Rashawn Gary right now is that they're trying to convert him to an outside linebacker, which is not what he was in college. And so they're, they're primarily putting him outside so that he can learn to play outside. The idea that they're going to stop now and put him at inside linebacker is absurd because that's an even further departure from what he was before. There are a lot of people that think he should be playing inside more. That's not going to happen. I, for one, also disagree. A lot of people said that that was his best spot. Again, I watched him play inside, and he just got blown all over the place. He's not big and strong enough. It's also a complete waste of his talent to be that... I mean, again, we're, we're switching from defensive and 3-4 defensive end to an outside linebacker. There's a different conversation about what strength looks like. But he is big and strong for an outside linebacker, but has freakish speed. And all that is just wasted when he kicks inside, and suddenly he's not that big, he's not that strong, and the speed is wasted. So they want to put him outside. He needs to learn to play outside. That's what it's going to be. He's not playing inside linebacker. He's going to play some down along the line. The primary focus for this team right now is to get him to learn to be a good outside linebacker. That's the first thing, and then they're going to start to build on that, start putting him down inside linemen to see if he can play like Zadarius, to follow that Zadarius mold. But baby steps, they're not changing his position after one year and about 100 snaps. That's not going to be the plan of action. Maybe in five, ten years or something, I don't know, if he's still a Packer. It's just one of those desperation, we need, you know, a Clay Matthews situation. But it's not going to happen now, and it's not going to be super intentional like this is his best position. It's going to be we have no other options. The last question I wanted to get to is this. What is the likelihood of this year's draft-eligible receivers becoming as good as Odell Beckham Jr.? So, again, it depends kind of how to answer this. Are you asking what are the odds that one of these receivers becomes as good, or what are the odds that we take a receiver and he ends up being as good as Odell Beckham Either way, I understand the spirit of the question because it gets asked every single year. The point of it is, of course you should take a guy like Odell Beckham because the odds of you finding a guy like him in the draft are very low, so why not just get him now when you know you can get him? It's assuming that, well, let me put it this way, the problem with that argument, and there is some validity to it, but the problem with it is that you're comparing apples and oranges. A a first-round draft pick is not the same as a free agent. If there was no salary cap, then yes, I would say just go get Odell Beckham. The only real issue at that point would be the age 
factor. But the point is there, there's roster management and there's cap management that go into this. You have to, you can't simply go out and pay everybody. You have to be able to build through the draft or you're never going to have a team because there's constantly people going out. There's constantly players and positions that you can't afford, which is why we get rid of people that we probably would rather not because the, the cost just doesn't make any sense anymore. And when that happens, you better have somebody that's stepping up into that role. If you don't, you're done. You're sunk. It's why you draft guys that maybe aren't exactly the top position because next year it might be. And so the odds of somebody becoming Odell Beckham are fairly low, although let's be honest about what Odell is. Odell is 27, which is not old, although Randall Cobb got the boot at 28 when he seemingly fell off. So everybody's different. And running backs, 26 is your peak. The fact of the matter is this past year, Odell Beckham Jr. was the 58th ranked uh, wide receiver. Now you can say, well, that's Cleveland's fault, that's Baker's fault, but Baker was also a lot better last year before Odell got there. Beyond that, let's let's look at what when Odell was in his prime. Odell in his prime was 2014, 15, and 16. In those years, he had 1,300, 1,400, and 1,400 um, yards, and 12, 13, and 10 touchdowns. Since then, statistically, in 2018, he did have a, a 90 overall grade. However, 2017 and 2019, his grades were in the 60s. Beyond that, for the last three years, and I understand 2017 was a very short year because of injury, but we're talking about 300, 1,000, and 1,000 yards for three, six, and four touchdowns. He has 13 touchdowns in his last three years. That's how many touchdowns he had in 2015 was 13. He has not reached 1,100 yards. And by the way, I know 1,000 yards seems like a lot. It's not a lot of yards. 1,000 yards is nothing. There were 25 wide receivers that got to 1,000 yards this year. DJ Chark. Tyler Lockett, John Brown, Michael Gallup. I mean, just all kinds of just whatever type guy. And the fact is, Odell Beckham, and by the way, Odell Beckham got to barely 1,000 yards in 16 games. DJ Chark got to 1,008 in 15 games. Mike Williams got to 1,000 in 15 games. John Brown got to 1,000 in 15 games. Michael Gallup got to 1,114 games. Stephon Diggs got to 1,115. Robert Woods got to 1,115. Mike Evans got to 1,113 games. Hopkins got to 1,115. DJ Moore got to 1,115. Chris Godwin got to 1,300 in uh, in 14 games. Julio Jones got to th- 1,415 games. And then Michael Thomas got 1,700 yards. So 1,000 in 16 games is nothing. In fact, Devontae Adams got to basically 1,000. He had 997 yards in 12 games. If you put that over 16 games, Devontae Adams had the equivalent of 1,300 yards in the same span that Odell Beckham did. And again, this is three years now. Last year, he was not with Cleveland. Last year, he was not hurt. And again, he graded out fairly well. That's true. But we're talking 1,052 yards and six touchdowns. Well, that's because of Eli. Listen, there's only so many excuses. The point is, and, and listen, everybody in Cleveland freaked out because Cleveland was going to be great because they got Odell. That was the assumption. Now that it didn't work, we make new excuses. Well, Cleveland wasn't very good. But it will be, it'll be different in Green Bay. You don't know that. And the fact of the matter is, there's opportunity cost law. There are people that we can't get if we go out and pay Odell Beckham. Again, I'm, listen, if we want to do it, I'm going to be jumping up and down doing backflips if we get Odell Beckham. I'm going to be excited because I understand how talented he is. But the point is, it's not the same question. To, it, it's not a simple matter of, If you can't find an Odell Beckham with a first-round pick, then you should trade a first-round pick for Odell Beckham. That's not true. For example, if the Packers sign a wide receiver, you're getting somebody that's maybe 22 years old, and we're going to have him locked up for four years with a fifth-year option. In those four years, four years, he's going to cost $12 million. 
in four years. Odell Beckham's going to cost more than that per year. If we sign a wide receiver in the second round in four years, he's going to cost $5 million in total. That has to come into play. Age has to come into play. And just overall, and you say, well, we can just do it this one time. The general strategy has to be, as you're you're losing guys on the front end, you have to be constantly refilling the back end. you got to have young, talented players that are being developed so that when we get to a point where we get to, say, you know, Brian Balaga, and of course I want him to stay, but the point is it would have been nice to have a tackle waiting in the wings. That's what Jason Spriggs was supposed to be. Jason Spriggs was supposed to be a guy in the second round that we traded up for so that when the time came right now, we would not have a complication where we're saying, listen, he's getting up there in age, he's going to cost a lot of money, he's got injury issues, let's just let him walk as good as he is because we got Spriggs. But it didn't work out. But that's the theory behind it. That's why you do it so that you don't get stuck in these situations. Oren Burks would have been nice if Blake Martinez, you know, we, we could have let him go and not have to worry about it because we got Oren waiting in the wings. The point is what, what Gutekunst did last year in free agency is great, but you can't do that every year. You can't go out and just spend, spend, spend because you're just going to be in a very serious problem. There's not enough money. There's not enough money to pay every position that way. And so that can't just be a strategy, especially when we're talking about not just giving away a lot of money, which is unaffordable, but you're giving away draft picks, which is exactly what we need to not get in trouble to where, and it becomes this death spiral. We're not drafting well enough, so we have to go into free agency, or we have to trade somebody. And so we're giving away our draft picks, which was what we need to make sure we don't get into this trouble in the future. But now we don't have any draft picks, so we can't replace people, so now we have to go back into free agency, and you get into the situation like the Rams are in. You get into the situation like the Bears are in. They go heavy into free agency, they don't have any draft picks, and now when their team doesn't pan out, what are they going to do? They don't have any money, they don't have any picks. They're done. The Rams went out and, and got uh, what Jalen Ramsey. They gave away a first. Jalen Ramsey is mediocre. He was wildly overrated. He went to the Rams. Nobody talked about him even once because he's not as good as everyone says he is, that he's this elite number one corner. He's good. But they gave away a first-round pick. That team is such a mess right now, it's it's ridiculous. So I'm not saying it's the worst thing, but what I am saying is it's not the right question to say, if you can't find Odell Beckham with a first-round pick, you should just give the first-round pick to somebody else and get Odell Beckham. That's not true. Now, it's a calculation you need to make, and I'm not saying you never do it, but it's 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 a false and a lot of times dishonest question because that's not how this works. How you build a team is through the draft. Ted Thompson was not wrong about that. He just was too frugal. He was too worried about, you know, the draft and and never going into free agency. And and for that matter, he was too worried about making sure he hit on the later rounds because those are important. You got to hit on some of the later round guys. The problem is he put no resource or not enough resources into the early picks and he missed constantly on first round guys. We nail fourth round picks like it's nothing. Every single interview that they came in, every single workout that they had, because you only get so many, they're all late-round guys. Never would Ted Thompson bring in early-round guys. Gutekunst started doing that. And again, the, the idea that let's just give away the because the draft is useless, because it's you do miss more often than not, that's true, but good teams are built through the draft. You don't. There's not enough money to get everyone in free agency. There's not enough draft picks to trade them away to get good players either. And so you give away all your draft picks, you give away all your money, and guess what? you got a half-cocked roster filled with a bunch of free agents that, and by the way, the misses on free agency are ridiculous as well. Le'Veon Bell, we should go get him. What did he do? What did Odell Beckham do? What does anybody ever do in free agency? Nothing. The, the, that's the other end of this, is that the idea is 
They've been so good for so long, it's a guarantee. You know, Antonio Brown, got to get him. He's a freak. He didn't do anything. Nobody ever does anything. Now, occasionally, it works out. Zadarius was fantastic. D. Ford, maybe a little overpriced, but it worked. Earl Thomas, maybe a little overpriced, but he's fine. But the, the miss rate on this is it's not a slam dunk. So it's, it's you're overpaying. You're paying a premium because you know what his production is. And you're overpaying for a guy that's on the downswing of his career, not the upswing. If you're buying a 27-year-old wide receiver, you're getting him at maybe at his best, although with Odell Beckham, again, his best three years were his first three years. So, I mean, at least let's just be honest about what we're talking about. A 27-year-old who has not produced elite numbers in three in four years with two different teams. We know he's a little bit of a basket case. We're going to have to give up a draft pick, which means we cannot replace the, you know, we're not going to get a young superstar talent. We're not going to get that Kenny Clark who gives us five years and then we extend him and we get him for another five or six years. That's not going to happen because instead we're getting Odell Beckham for three or four years and then he's gone and hopefully he produces because we're going to have a lot of money tied up. We're not going to have a first round draft pick. There's a lot of negatives here. Again, if you're all for it, fine, but just let's just be honest about what it is. It's not as simple as if you can't find him, if you can't get an Odell Beckham, you should trade it away. That's not how this works. But again, this is why, and I actually completely forgot about it until now, I have the free agency sheet so that people can put their stamp down so that when things pan out, and I don't have a trade sheet because that would just be every single player available, but if you got somebody that you like, put your stamp on it. Let me check that, actually, see if it's still up and running. So, yeah, let me let me do this again and just remind you, there is a sheet. It's online, and what you can do is put your stamp on people that you either like, don't like, want them to sign, re-sign, get in free agency. Just put your stamp on it so that when it happens or doesn't happen, you can officially go back and say, look, I told you we should have got this guy, or I told you we should never have touched this guy. Go ahead and do it. Because some people want to put their stamp on it, and that's fine. Again, I can't do Odell because he's not a free agent, although I guess I could put him on here as a just-in-case. But if you're interested in that, that's fine. Otherwise, I need to do another sheet for the draft. I just remembered that. So I'll, I'll try to remember to do that, and I'll post links to both. It's fairly straightforward. You just put down your name and uh, who you want to keep and sign and whatever, and we'll leave it at that. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.